everyone. Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend El Chavruta, Yerdena Ozband, our daf of the day. Masachet Ketubot, daf Lamed Tet, page 39. Page 39, I would say, is a little bit of a difficult, difficult kinds of topics here. Um, coming from pretty close to the top of the daf, right, there's a discussion. We're still talking about rape victims, and we're talking about um, all the part of what we've already touched on where the women... Um, some women, given their circumstances, might have been uh, likely to attempt birth control um, in a way that I guess we would call it a barrier method, as I've said in the past. The idea of having this um, resorbent, it's called a moch in Hebrew, right? The idea that the, the I guess it's that it's going to prevent the sperm from getting through to meet the egg, right? But the problem is that I don't know that it's really so effective, probably more effective than nothing. Um, and then, the so the Gemara, from the very top of the daf, the Gemara says, explains that there's three women who might be using these, right? And it says, Elohim, these are they, Kitana Uberto Minika. It says, a woman who is a minor, a woman who's pregnant, and a nursing woman. Now, a woman who's pregnant, again, a nursing woman, for some women, nursing functions as birth control. For many, it does not. Katana, shema, titaber, vitamut. The concern, however, is that a katana could, if she conceives, meaning, again, there's a lack of understanding to the degree that we understand the biology, but the idea that the young girl could get pregnant from this act, from this sexual intercourse that she would which is rape, meaning nobody's wanting, nobody's wishing this on her, right? But then the concern is, what if she would get pregnant and it would be too much for her body and she would die. Now, I would say it's very unlikely would be able to conceive to begin with, right? That's part of the definition of one being a minor versus being, you know, having hit the age of majority or in fact puberty. So, but in any case, this is the Gemara's concern. And likewise, it goes on to say, shema ubara sandal, right? There's a concern lest there be some kind of um, mutation in in the pregnancy because of conceiving a second time. And Menika Shema Tigmol Adbana. And the the last concern is actually maybe perhaps the most uh, scientifically legitimate in that, you know, in the idea that she would end up needing to wean her son because she's gotten pregnant a second time. Her son meaning the first child that she's nursing. It doesn't have to be a boy. That's not the point. Okay, the Gemara then goes on to say, What's a minor? Who's Who has the status of a minor girl? We're not talking about the youngest of children. It's simply, the definition becomes so narrow, right? It's one year of the girl's life, namely from the time she is 11 years and one day old until the time that she is 12 years and one day old. Because if she's less than that, if she's younger than that, there's not younger than that and older than that. They're not concerned about her possibly getting pregnant and dying. My assumption is, and this is me, but the assumption is that younger than that, she's not going to get pregnant. That doesn't mean she should be having sexual intercourse, but it doesn't, it's not the same um, concern of the then maturation process to her body that isn't going to work very well. And older than that, the assumption is, and again, here I would raise a question over a 12 year old and two days, 12 year and two days old girl being able to carry a child to term in a healthy way. But in any case, this is, despite all of my questions, right, which are kind of grumbly, 
the the bottom line here is that this is the definition of the way the or the way the Gemara is defining it according to Divi Rebbe Meir. The Chachamim Omrim, the Chachamim have a different opinion, of course. The Gemara says that the rabbis, the majority opinion says that both of these women, women meaning these girls, right, from whatever this age is, don't worry about it, meaning we're not going to say, we're, we're not going to define um, the sexual encounter in such a way that it's going to be handled in any different way, which is what the discussion has been to this point. But rather, rather, the heavens should have mercy and prevent her from getting pregnant. Meaning, don't worry about it because God will look out for her. Why? And this is one of my, you know, really favorite, um, I don't know, psakalachas, the idea that the Gemara can say, Shomer Ptayim Hashem, that, the, that God protects the fools. And the idea that God protects the fools and that's going to be sufficient protection, you know, good birth control here, because God's going to make sure in his mercy that the child will not conceive because it would be too hard on her own body. So I'm not saying that this is science, but I would point out that Chazal were concerned about issues and, you know, for the health of the child, for the health, and I'm saying child here, for the health of the person who has been raped, right? That's still the case that we're talking about. Or any other kind of encounter, sexual encounter, you know, is cause for concern. Um, the Gemara goes on to talk about, well, you know, what happens if she does in fact conceive and when she's maybe a little bit older and then she gives birth when she's that, you know, still in this na'aras stage. And then what happens if she even, you know, dies before she ever really hits the, the full adulthood? And, you know, can she... There's a whole discussion of whether she can give birth only six months after she's conceived and what would that mean? And, you know, uh, presumably these would be, again, very in the modern to modern ears, they're very difficult. Um, for, they're very difficult cases because they don't really line up with the science as we know it. And science that is taught, you know, from a young age, at least nowadays. So, Dana, we have a new Mishnah. Yes, we have a Mishnah, uh, and it's not a fun Mishnah, but we'll get to it. Um, so basically, this Mishnah is going to talk about what is the difference between the seducer and the rapist. So the seducer basically has to give the father of the victim three things, and the rapist has to give the father four things. So we talked about this a little bit before, that when there is a situation of damages. There's five different types of damages that one maybe would have to give. And so in this case, right, you the seducer has to pay for boshet is humiliation. Pagam is, I guess, like degradation would be like some English translations I saw. Knas is the actual fine. Mosiva lav etatsar. And a rapist also adds uh, for tsar, which literally means pain. Ma bein onus what are the differences between a rapist and that is the seducer? It's this extra payment of tsar, of pain, that was inflicted. That's the difference between the two. So the rapist has to give a payment immediately, and the seducer only gives that payment when he releases her. And what that is, is, is that basically if he does not marry her, or if they get married and then get divorced, the Gemara is going to get into all of that. So a rapist 
uh, drinks from his vessel. So what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's a euphemism, but basically he marries the woman that he rapes. And the seducer, if he doesn't want to marry her, he does not have to marry her. Now, again, this is a completely different way of thinking about these types of crimes. Um, I think that the Torah's way of looking at it was this was actually a way of protecting women. I think as you know, modern people, it's actually pretty horrifying to think this was something that was done. But the idea was, was that the crime was so terrible against the woman that sort of the only way to sort of protect her was that she actually would have to end up being with her rapist. I don't have a good way of like justifying this or really explaining this in any way. That sounds good. I don't think in any modern context this would happen today. And so then the Mishnah goes on to say, so this is actually a combination of two Mishnahs actually that are put together. Um, right? So what does it mean that he drinks from his vessel? Even if the woman he rapes is lame, this Mishnah is not getting any better. Even if she's blind. Even if she's afflict, afflicted with boils, Right? He's oh, sorry, he's basically obligated to marry her. So what the mission is saying is, is that even if she sort of would be a woman who in under circumstances would be not desirable to marry, he still would be obligated to marry her. In other words, the rapist can't get out of it. But let's say a matter of erva or like promiscuity was found in her. In other words, she had committed adultery previously. Or let's say she's a mamzeret, right? She's not somebody who can actually be married into Israel. Then he does not actually have to take her as his wife. Uh, because the Pasuk says, and this is quoting a Pasuk from Devarim chapter 22, verse 29. And to him, she shall be his wife, right? Meaning he only has to take somebody to be his wife who legally could be his wife. So in other words, if she's a mamzeret, she really legally could not be his wife. So therefore he would not have to take her um, as his wife. Um, I don't have anything great to say about this Mishnah. Again, I think this was, these are halachot for a different time with a different understanding of rape, with a different understanding of what it meant for a woman to undergo these types of traumatic experiences. And I think the motivation of the halakha here is actually to protect the woman, right? That now that she's sort of in this situation, the rapist actually is responsible to take care of her. Again, there's nothing about this that I think with our understanding of psychology or how things work today, uh, that this would actually work. Uh, the Gemara is not really any better here either. I'm not even going to read it out loud, but it essentially gets into a pretty lengthened discussion of what the tsar actually is, what is actually the pain. And it even gives a description of like tsar shechatva al gabe karka, like maybe it's the physical pain of the act of rape itself. Um, and then Rabbi Zayr, I think in a way that's actually being facetious says, so, you know, you know, well, what say like he slammed her onto silk, you know, would that be okay? And I think his point is saying like, come on, like rape is rape. It's not a question of like, what the surface was or anything like that. Um, and so they go through like a pretty, uh, you know, detailed discussion about what actually is the pain that is caused by uh, rape itself. I actually read this as like, um, I think the Gemara is almost in a way, 
by being so detailed and, you know, we could read it as like, they're not being sensitive. I think it's actually the Gemara's way of saying like how disgusting the act actually is, but it's very, very difficult to read. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. This, this episode needs, this stop needs like a huge trigger warning to it. Um, I think that's actually fair. You know, I'm usually not so quick to jump to trigger warnings, but I think that the way the Gemara talks about rape, the way the Torah talks about rape is so, um, so much more lenient than anything that we have and our sensibilities today. And I think that in this case, I will say that I think our sensibilities today are more accurate, you know, like, you know, in, in terms of people's experience. So I think the trigger warning is in, in place. I, I do. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I do think this like very detailed discussion about um, about SAR, uh, you know, is like in a way of them saying like how disgusting this act actually is. And it goes through a few different permutations to be like, this is a terrible thing to do to another person. The only other thing I want to mention here is, is uh, they do turn to women there's a whole discussion about like, what is it like to experience for a woman to experience uh, that first act of sexual intercourse, the first Bia. And um, it's interesting that the Amorayim quote women, right? Abaye quotes his mother, right? You know, that it's, uh, uh, you know, Kimai Hamima Arashid Dakarcha. It's like hot water on the head of a bald, a bald man. Rava talks about Rafista's daughter, who's actually his wife, Bat Rafista, Kirita de Kusalta. Right. It's like the stab of a bloodletting knife. So it's interesting to see there's like a woman's voice in this. And Rapapa also, he quotes his wife, who's Abbasura's daughter, um, that it's like a hard bread uh, on gums. So I just think it's like interesting to see that in this passage, the Amorim, you know, did actually turn to women to understand what that experience is like. They didn't claim to be like, I can understand what that's going to be. They had to go to women that they knew to get that description to understand it. I think that's also a really, it's a valuable uh, point for us to note. Thank you for that. Because, because, you know, especially as we're sitting here saying they're not really getting rape, right. They're trying. I think they're trying. I think it's difficult I, I given they the are trying. Look, the halacha is the halacha in the Torah that the rapist marries the woman. And again, I think it's in a particular, those are one of those halachot in the Torah that I think are given for a particular time and place. I just do. Some people will say that's a heretical thing to say. I do think that that, you know, like if we ended up building, Mashiach came and we ended up building a society based on the Torah itself, I don't think this would be upheld. I just don't. I don't think anybody would do this halacha anymore, right? Do this mitzvah anymore. But at least I, as long as women can hold jobs, right? Meaning right. part of it is the economic benefit, right? So we, we're talking Western society. I imagine that there are some parts of the world still, right, that we know about where the women are treating, treated so shabbily, young girls, you know, women who are not yet married, who are not yet mothers are treated very shabbily. So I'm not going to say that this is a better solution for them. I don't think that marrying the rapist was like a good idea. But I do think that there was kind of that the rationale of keeping this woman who now has been raped and presumably is like not going to get married so easily to the quote unquote right person, right? Prince Charming, whomever, right? So then at the very least, she's protected, she's taken care of. And the guy is quote unquote penalized as far as as far as monetary penalty goes, because he's going to now be caring for this 
family for the rest of his life. It's not a good, I don't think it's good, but I think that it's an attempt at uh, looking out for the injured party. I, I do. And I think that's why they very carefully go through Tsar and then they turn to women to understand what that experience of first Bia is actually like. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank is review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revani Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgin website. Let us know what you thought about this difficult DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.